Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, a very uh, warm welcome to you. It's great to be back here in the pulpit at uh, Calvary Church. And our readings today from the Old, the Epistle, and the New, and the Gospel are all loaded. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you have a dysfunctional family, there is hope for you in the Old Testament. You know, I mean, it's like, I got a better idea. Let's throw him in a pit and starve him. You know, it's like, this is powerful. And we see how God works in the midst of dysfunction and how God is actually the one who chooses. So if you're in the midst of a dysfunctional family moment... Go and read the story of Joseph and his brothers and how God works through tragedy to bring about glory. And then you see this in, this only comes about in this understanding, as St. Paul says, from a preacher, one who sent. And the message of that preacher is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is articulated in our parable, or not our parable, but on our miracle from, uh, uh, from uh, our gospel reading with Jesus walking on the water. And so my sermon today, first one back, is going to be about two hours long. Uh, Just kidding. But uh, um, Jesus, uh, in our gospel reading, and I want to hit on this. Jesus, and what's the good news for you in this miracle? Because it's oftentimes very, it's misunderstood. And the miracle becomes a lesson in law. So I want to hit this, and what's the good news? But first, I'm going to give you the context. The first two points are going to be the context, and then I'm going to hit you on the third point with the lesson. So stay with me. So here we go. In Matthew's gospel so far, Jesus has been teaching these parables, and the crowds have been coming to him in the droves. And so after the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle where he feeds 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and uh, some fish, uh, four loaves of bread and uh, two fish to be exact, um, he goes on a break. He goes on a break up to the mountain to spend some time in prayer, some time to recharge his batteries. And make no doubt about it, if the Son of Man had to go and recharge his batteries, take it from a workaholic. So do you. Recharging your batteries is very, very important, especially during this time as we meet the next half of 2020. Now, Matthew tells us that the disciples were off in the boat. They sailed off ahead, and they were far from land, and specifically, a very hard wind was against them. I remember the first sermon I ever heard preached here in Calvary Church was 14 years ago on this Sunday. And Nancy Hannah was up in this pulpit. Melina and I had just walked in from JFK with our luggage. And we walked right into this pulpit, and we sat down in the nave. I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. And we heard her preach from this church that there is a hard wind blowing against us all. Boy, that resounds as true today as it did 14 years ago. A hard wind blowing against us all. The white caps, the wind have kicked up and the sea is hard And you, like the disciples in this boat along the sea of life, have a hard wind blowing up against you. If you don't right now, trust me, it's coming. But most of us have a hard wind blowing up against us. And have you ever felt that no matter how hard you struggle, like the disciples, no matter how hard you pull those oars, 
even for you, it seems to just be getting harder. And the harder you try, actually the less progress you seem to make. This is what's going on with the disciples. And whatever it is, and I think 2020 has only exacerbated this hard wind blowing against us, this is my first point. All of us, all of us, there's no different, Jew or Greek, all of us are in a boat on the sea called life, and there's a hard wind blowing against us. This is why in the church and in architecture, specifically the place where you would sit, that part of the church is called the nave. It comes from the Latin word nave, and it's where we get our word navy from. But it means ship. And Christianity has always recognized that life in this age is not about your best life now, but that life in this age is an actual struggle. In many ways, it not, in many ways it's not the way it's, suppo- it's supposed to be. And in here, in the church, specifically the nave, which is now at this moment your living room or maybe your dining room table, wherever it is, as a church anchored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is your steady ship. It's not an escape from the winds or the waves of life. Rather, it is your refuge in the midst of it. And it's your refuge as our Lord walks out to us despite the hard winds, despite the waves, and gets right into our boat to navigate us through it through the choppy waters of life. I'm getting ahead of myself. What is the significance of the water here, and how does it connect to the previous miracle, the feeding of the 5,000? Well, in the time of Jesus, the sea was not a place you ventured out to, even on small bodies of water. Across the cultural spectrum, the sea was a great unknown. For pagans, It was a place where the gods and the spirits and sea monsters dwelt, and oftentimes sacrifices were made to appease these sea gods. You remember the great illustration, the 1981 version of Clash of the Titans, where Andromeda is tied up to the rocks to appease what? The Kraken, who's the son of Poseidon? The Jews also had a thing on the sea as well. The Leviathan, the behemoth. They dwelt in these waters. The sea, or the deep as it's referred to, referencing back to Genesis chapter 1, it had power. It was a place of not only chaos, but it was the embodiment of death itself. That is why in the book of Revelation, it is of immense significance that the sea is still. It's as still as glass. And the disciples, they're now out in the midst of the personification of death on the fourth watch, also known as 3 a.m. in the morning. That means they have been rowing for at least nine hours, and they're too far to go back. They're on the sea, and they're thinking, boy, we are in trouble. And if you've ever been out on the sea with no lights in the midst of a storm, it is dark. And all of a sudden, they hear the steps. All of a sudden, they can make out the silhouette of something off on the horizon. These are sane and rational men. 
They know humans can't walk on water. They know that the mind can play tricks on them. Maybe the pagans are right. Maybe this is, as the Greek says, Matthew writes in the Greek, a phantom out on the water. And it's in this moment where they begin to scream like little kids in the boat because they're, 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 they're confident they're going to die. That Jesus cries out and he says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus, in this moment, evokes the divine name of God, Yahweh. It is I, in the Greek is ego ami. I am. Take heart, I am. This is my second point. Writing to a Jewish audience, Matthew doesn't use the phrase as regularly as St. John, but in this moment it is used to emphasize something to the Jewish audience reading Matthew for the first time, and it is doing something to emphasize something to you and me. And that is that this profound miracle is not about buoyancy. This profound miracle is not about the suspensions of law, the laws of nature. Rather, instead, almost like the feeding of the 5,000 functions as a living parable, this walking on the water is functioning as a living parable. We are being taught by Jesus walking on the water, especially as I said, in conjunction with the 5,000, because the 5,000, the rabbis taught that in the Messiah's age that the people of God would feast upon the Leviathan. And there they are as a foreshadow, feasting on all this fish, a foreshadow of the age that is to come, an age of peace when there's total provision. And now here he is illustrating, almost like a living parable, this miracle is illustrating That he is not only Lord over creation, Jesus Christ, but he is Lord over death and he is Lord over the unknown, even the unknown in your life. He is the promised one at the end of Genesis chapter 3 who stomps on the serpent's head, including the sea serpent Leviathan, walking across death as if it is solid ground. And Jesus says right to where you're at in the midst of all of the unknowns, take heart, ego me. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. That is a gospel promise to you. Well, at this very moment, if I was a disciple... I would have been like St. Carrie Underwood and I would have screamed out, Jesus, take the wheel, you know? Get out of here. Like, get us out of here. We've been rowing for nine hours. But not Peter. Peter from the boat, he fires back, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. This is significant because phantoms can't command. Jesus then at this moment, he says one word. And this word comes with all of the power of Genesis chapter 1. He says, come. Now this is significant because that one word, taking us back to Genesis 1, when the Spirit of God hovered over the deep, God created everything with just a word. And so this just isn't any old word. 
This word come comes with the very power of God to create out of nothing. It comes with the power of God to create faith and carry Peter right out of that boat across the water right up to Jesus. And this same word from Jesus has the power to calm your fears and make you step out onto the storms of life as well. Because to be a Christian doesn't mean that you just relate to Jesus, but it is to partake in the life of Jesus. And so it is to have his courage. It is to have him as your strength, to have him as your wisdom, to believe God despite the unknown. However, for you, it's not about walking on water. It's about that word that Jesus speaks to you is you are forgiven by God. That word that Jesus speaks to you is that you have been declared justified before God. And that comes not by walking on water, but rather by being plunged into it. The waters of baptism, where you are drowned in God's grace. And as St. Paul says, you are buried with Jesus into a death like his, so that now, as I just said, you might live with Jesus in his life. And that word... That promise given to you at baptism is as sure as the word that called Peter out onto the sea. So Peter, he can't help but get out of the boat. He's walking on water. And I'm sure when he got to the shore, he looked at the rest of the disciples and he said, Yo, three steps. (laughs) How many steps did you take? Zero. I took three. But, you know, he took three steps. That's pretty impressive. There's only two people in the history of the universe that have ever walked on water, Jesus and St. Peter. But that's not the lesson. Remember, he is a baptized Christian. The water gets choppy. The wind starts howling. It's 3 a.m. in your life. This makes no sense. I can't walk on water. Humans can't walk on water. Oh, I can't be justified. God knows what I did last night. He can't love me. Have you seen my family? It's a mess. It looks like Joseph. The same thing goes for us, man. We look around the world. We look at our country. We look inside ourselves. By the way, if someone tells you to look and find the strength within, that's the worst advice anyone can give you. You look at your kids, you look at your bank accounts, you look at your relationships, and all sorts of doubts begin to emerge in your life. Fear arises. There are just so many distractions. And we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we begin to sink like stones, and we begin to drown in the despair and the reality of life. Have you ever felt it when your chest starts to tighten? You can literally feel yourself drowning? this is a real thing for you, let me tell you, you're not alone. This is what it is to be a Christian sometimes. It's a real thing for me. I, like Peter, am constantly taking my eyes off of Jesus and drowning in my own anxiety, overcome by anger and frustration of the things that I can't control. Now, keeping your eyes on Jesus 
It's a great idea. It's great advice, and I encourage it. But that's not the lesson of this miracle either. The lesson of this miracle today, brothers and sisters, is made when Peter, overcome by the waves in the sea of life, he knows he's going to drown, screams out, Lord, save me. Remember what St. Paul writes, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The hand goes right out to Peter. Jesus doesn't say, hey man, what's up? Believe in me. And just reaches out and pulls Peter out. Jesus doesn't commend Peter's doubt. But immediately he stretches forth his hands and he saves Peter. And this dear Christian is your prayer before God as the hard winds blow and the choppy seas called life come at you. Not Lord, help me. Not Lord, let's enter into a partnership. Not Lord, make it better. But Lord, save me. And he always does. And this is my third point. As we walk through the storms of life, amidst the rain and the wind, our Lord Jesus Christ not only walks out with us, but he walks out for us. The Lord over life, the Lord over death, who treads the back of the Leviathan, as the psalmist says, hears us when we cry out, Lord, save us. Jesus hears us, and he meets us in our weakest and most exhausted. And at the 3 a.m.s of life, when you can't pull the oar any longer, and it seems as if death itself will have its way. Lord, save us. Lord, save me. That's the prayer he hears. And the powerful word he has given us, plunged into the waters of baptism, tells us that you are forgiven, you are his child, and you are justified before God. And that gospel word is true. Do not doubt, but only believe, because it is the same word that caused Peter to walk on water, and it is the same word that will raise you up someday to walk on death in the grave. You can count on it, dear friends. Because you've been plunged in water, you will walk on death in the grave. And that word, that word of the gospel, that promise is true, sealed in Jesus' blood, and it always does what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.